Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Dr. Kara Wada. Dr. Wada is an assistant professor of allergy immunology with over 10 years of experience teaching medical trainees about misbehaving immune systems. Currently, she serves as Associate Fellowship Program Director at Ohio State University and Founder-CEO of The Crunchy Allergist. Her advocacy work focuses on improving the physician-patient relationship, improving awareness around invisible illnesses, and improving consumer protections in the personal care and cosmetics industry. She coaches clients using both life and health coaching techniques to break out of their fatigue and fog and find clarity and confidence in her 60 Days to Redefining Success program. In the episode, Dr. Wada explains what's wrong with functional medicine, why buy-mail allergy tests are a waste of money, factors to consider before buying a bunch of expensive supplements, and more. Before we get to the episode, I quickly want to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think that eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I buy groceries on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order, and I'm able to fill up my cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash thrivemarket, or just click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Dr. Wada. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Dr. Wada. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited that we've been able to connect. Me too. And I was just chatting with you off air. We knew this when we connected on Instagram, but you're, the first thing you said to me, I think, was that your maiden name was Simonson. Yes. And we were just um, remarking on how we have had some of the same uh, mispronunciations and uh, shenanigans of people trying to put a P where it does not belong um, in Simonson. Doesn't belong there. <laughs> yeah. Or a double M, always Simonson. Yeah. They turned it into something French. Simonson. Right. Exactly. So many things. I remember it used to be kind of a little joke in my family back when there weren't cell phones. We just had the home line and there were a lot of telemarketers calling 
And so it would always be, is Mr. Simpson there or is Mrs. Simmonson? And it was always something different. So it was like, what was I called today? What did they say? Well, and it was such a dead giveaway that you could hang up right away typically in those situations too. And now we just get all the robo um, text messages. Exactly. So another, it's gone into another realm. Still fun. Still fun. (laughs) Um, Well, I would love if you could start off by telling um, myself, me more and my listeners a bit about your background. So I am a practicing allergist immunologist. I live in Columbus, Ohio. Originally from the not Chicago part of Illinois. And so how I became an allergist is essentially did my four years of undergrad, um, four years of medical school at the University of Illinois. And then um, I had met my now husband at the time. And so we ended up um, doing something called couples matching. So essentially, after you finish medical school, a computer system essentially decides where you end up. And so we entered that process together um, because we knew that we wanted to make a, make a future together. And so that's how we landed in Columbus, Ohio. And I did a combined program, which was both internal medicine, so taking care of adults and pediatrics, so children, which is four years. And during that experience, I knew I wanted to specialize. I have great admiration for my colleagues who do primary care, but I knew that I wanted to specialize in uh, part of the body in one way, shape, or form, and discovered along the way that I really enjoyed allergy immunology in part because it was an area of science that I always found super fascinating, like how the immune system works and what happens when it goes wrong or misbehaves. Mm -hmm. And it was also an area of medicine where I could continue to see both kids and adults and people throughout the lifespan and families and have a little more continuity of care and taking care of patients um, across the lifespan and across families. And so I did an extra two years of fellowship, um, which focused on learning how the immune system may recognize things that are outside of it as danger zone um, and other aspects uh, to caring for people's immune systems. And I wasn't quite done, so I did a little extra training in medical education and um, more recently have done some work um, to become certified in something called lifestyle medicine. And uh, just this week, I'll be finishing up training to be a certified life coach. So I'm someone who just really loves learning. (laughs) My mom always called me the professional student. And I think that has really, um, that was pretty, her her prediction definitely has played out. (laughs) Well, it's good, I guess, as a professional student that you went the doctor route because they gave you a lot of years right there. (laughs) Yeah. right off the bat. Yeah. Um, but what is lifestyle medicine exactly? Is it kind yeah. of related to life coaching? It, um, In some ways. So lifestyle medicine is essentially um, looking at ways that we can help optimize our health um, through nutrition, sleep, connection with other human beings, stress management, looking at the science behind those types of interventions And then also learning strategies to help patients actually make those behavior changes. Because really, Mm. we know so much that the the solutions aren't necessarily a secret. 
like eating more vegetables or moving more or getting adequate sleep, but it's implementing those behavior changes that are really challenging. And that's where um, lifestyle medicine touches on coaching aspects a little bit, um, but that's where I also felt that life coaching training would be really beneficial personally because I found the the tools that I've learned through my own experiences of being coached to be extraordinarily helpful. Um, and I wanted to be able to better understand and share those with my patients, with my coaching clients, um, and also just use them myself. Mm. And why do you call yourself the crunchy allergist? That's your Instagram handle. Yes. So that started off actually as a little bit of an inside joke within our department. So I practice at um, Ohio State um, and I'm the associate program director of our fellowship program. But during fellowship, you part of that experience is learning to teach your colleagues. And so my senior fellow presentation was essentially a rundown of all of the evidence behind some of those um, old wives tales or home remedies, different um, complementary and alternative treatments that our patients may come to us wanting to try or having tried to care for their asthma or allergies. And so part of all of that came out of that talk and my interest in that area. And uh, it, it has stuck now many years out from that experience. <laughs> So do you still employ some of those kind of old wives tales things in your practice or is it more just, you know what they are? No, I do. I love, um, I love approaching care. First of all, using shared decision-making. So really talking with the patient about what their goals are, what, where they want to see kind of their health and how they want to do that too. Like I have a fair number of patients who, maybe would prefer to approach their treatment from a more natural or a more holistic vantage point. And I try to walk the line between providing information on how we can do that from a, in a very safe way um, and honoring what their desires are as best we can too, but also kind of sharing, okay, well, I also am a conventionally trained allergist immunologist. So, you know, they're, you're, you're going to get both sides of the coin in, right. in the office with me. Yeah, that's cool. I'm excited to talk with you about a couple topics in particular, just based on posts you've done on Instagram. That's why I became very interested in having you on. Um, and those are functional medicine and food sensitivity tests. Um, And I definitely want to break those down. I'd love to talk to you forever, actually, about allergies and immunology and uh, autoimmune diseases. I mean, I think we could probably talk for hours, but let's get these out of the way because I think there's a lot of mixed messages out there. There's a lot of marketing. And I want to hear from you because you just said you kind of have this crunchy side and you're interested in this holistic approach, but you're also an MD. Um, and I really respect that. And I think, well, we'll hear from you, I guess, first, like what is the field of functional medicine and Um, why are functional medicine doctors kind of so appealing to people? Yeah. So functional medicine, um, comes from this vantage point of trying to certainly treat the whole person, but also 
one of the key lines that they like to talk a lot about and tout is treating from the root cause. So kind of finding out what is driving a particular process in the body and fixing it from that ground level, Um, which in its when you say things like that, like that, isn't that the ideal? And I, and I would counter mm-hmm. to say vast majority of physicians in a perfect world in, in general, like w- at least we start off <laughs> coming mm-hmm. from that, from that vantage point. Although sometimes we may go uh, astray um, given some of the systems issues that we deal with, especially in the U.S. medical you know, um, system. Um, functional medicine is a relatively new area. Um, it's not considered like a, a board certification, but there are a couple of programs that will, um, certify you in functional medicine. I explored actually doing training in functional medicine, um, a couple years ago when I kind of embarked on more of this, you know, journey to learn more after, I had finished my fellowship training and kind of gotten my feet wet as a new attending. Um, What I became somewhat quickly disenchanted by um, were a few things. So one is that the training itself consisted of um, multiple kind of weekend seminars that um, you would attend for several thousand dollars each, either virtually or this is pre-pandemic um, and or in real life. Mm-hmm. So it's very expensive. I kind of calculated it out. It was going to, without travel included, be somewhere in the order of fifteen to maybe $20,000 to get certified over a couple years, like doing these different um, weekend sessions. The other thing um, that I dug in pretty quickly was looking at what they were sharing in the area of allergies and the immune system, given that's my area of focus and and specialization. And what I found very quickly was things that they were promoting as rock-solid science did not have the scientific backing that I... New. So for instance, and this kind of, this falls into food sensitivity testing. That was kind of my, my red flag. You know, there was this whole mm-hmm. thing a couple um, weeks ago on Instagram, like that was trending of like red flags. This is mm-hmm. my red flag that everyone trained in, nearly everyone trained in functional medicine was saying, Hey, you need these expensive food sensitivity tests. Well, the problem with food sensitivity tests, um, especially, um, ones that might rhyme with neverly unwell um, and similar, they check for something called IgG. So IgG is a type of immune system protein, also known as an immunoglobulin. That's what the the initial Ig stands for. And this is the type of immune system protein that gives our immune system memory. So if you have fought off particular infection or you've gotten your tetanus shot, um, you could actually, in the case of the tetanus shot, you could see, like, have you kept IgG to tetanus? And you can measure that. And that's actually one way that I check to see if someone's immune deficient is to see if they've kept memory to their tetanus shot. Hmm. What these food sensitivity tests will say is that, oh, if you make IgG to a particular food, then that means you're sensitive to that food. Hmm. To me, all that's telling me is that you have eaten that food. 
in your immune system made a memory to it. It does not necessarily mean that that's a good memory or a bad memory or anything else. It just means your immune system has seen that food or even potentially a food that looks very similar to that food because what we know about food and food allergy, for instance, is that um, many foods that we eat uh, look the proteins um, look very similar to one another, and they look very similar to, in particular, plants that we many times have like seasonal allergies to. So, for instance, there is a protein that is um, very well known and described in allergy science um, that comes from birch trees. And it looks incredibly similar to many of the fruits and vegetables and nuts that we commonly eat. So um, it's there's a phenomenon where some people who are very birch allergic will get mouth itching when they eat apple. Hmm. So those people may, if you scr- do a scratch test or food, an actual allergy test or potentially a sensitivity test for that matter, they may have allergy protein or immune system memory protein to apple but that might actually be a reflection of their birch allergy rather than mm-hmm. an actual apple allergy. Like, so those look similar enough that the labs um, are not necessarily always specific to, you know, to that, to that, to apple or to um, some of the different foods. When we think right. about um, the other thing that's kind of doesn't, the science that doesn't play out with that is that, Food sensitivities or intolerances most often are related to issues between how food is being digested, and that is more of a marker in a reflection of our microbiome. And so how like how food is actually being physically broken down, chemically broken down, what is being produced, um, you know, is it producing more gas, is it producing kind of some of these other um, substances after it's being broken down and how, you know, our gut bugs fermenting it. Um, and, and how is our body responding to that? Not an immune system response. Interesting. So that was a red flag. flag. (laughs) That was a big red flag. Um, yeah. So those tests, I mean, they're, they're marketed everywhere. I see them, especially, I don't know if it's just, they're targeting me, but anytime I'm watching, Hulu or one of the streaming mm-hmm. um, channels and they have an ad in it for some reason. I see that test all the time and they have these people saying, oh my gosh, I'm so happy I found this. Now I don't eat almonds and this and this. Um, so it sounds like if you're doing one of those tests, you may end up cutting out foods or entire food groups that you've eaten recently, which probably could be some of your favorites that if you've eaten them recently. Absolutely. And so what happens many times, and I'll see this frequently in the office, is someone will come in and say, hey, here, I have this report. I've taken all these foods out of my diet. I'm scared. I don't know what to eat. I'm hungry. I'm grumpy. You know, food is not fun anymore. Um, in, in extreme cases, I've been worried about situations where there's been even you know, poor nutrition because, you know, you've cut out so many different things. Um, And so not only are people sold a false bill of goods, you know, with this testing saying it's going to be this, you know, magic information that's 
given to you, but then it also breeds more confusion, more anxiety, more fear around food when really, in in my humble opinion, food should be fun. Um, It shouldn't be something that we're having to expend a lot of extra emotional and um and mental energy on it's I hear it all the time working with clients I work with them in nutrition coaching and when they'll be fearful of a banana or potatoes or brown rice just after years of doing keto or something and I know we have the conversation. I said it to a client the other day and she actually started laughing and she goes, Oh my gosh, the way you said it makes so much sense. But I said, you know, the bananas are not the problem really with the health crisis in the country. It's not that people are overeating bananas or potatoes, right? There's so many other things going on here. And she said, yeah, that makes so much sense. You know, I'm not going to get out of perfect health or, you know, have all these issues because I ate a banana. Um, And so she started eating these things again and she's just so much happier because she's including more foods back into her diet that, and I was guilty myself really for a long time because when I started getting more into nutrition and health, I followed a lot of the functional medicine Mm -hmm. doctors and there is a lot of fear mongering around Mm -hmm. things like certain carbs, gluten, dairy, and it makes you feel like everyone has an allergy to these things and that your health will be improved just by giving these things up. And so I experimented with that Mm -hmm. a while myself, just thinking I was doing the right thing. And it wasn't as fun. No, (laughs) me too. too. I did, I did the autoimmune protocol for several months. And what I quickly realized was it was not going to be sustainable for our family. Um, Mm. I discovered that cauliflower rice is like the worst thing on the planet. And, (laughs) and I, I became fearful of oatmeal of all foods. Like oatmeal, we know like has so much good data and science. Like unless, unless you have celiac and you need to worry about cross contamination, like there are a couple situations where maybe oats are not the best fit, but vast majority of people could benefit from adding oatmeal to their diet, not taking it. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So why are so many functional medicine doctors, let's start with gluten. Yeah. Demonizing gluten. So overall, there are some people about one in, and correct me if you've heard otherwise, but about one in 100 people will have celiac disease, which is an immune system response to gluten that then damages the small bowel and causes not only typically digestive system issues, but also can cause more whole body type symptoms as well. So that is something that needs to be diagnosed and evaluated for if there's concern about it. So that is one issue that I get pretty frustrated with um, in like if someone is told to go gluten-free before they are tested for celiac because if you are gluten-free for a prolonged period of time, the testing for celiac is not um, accurate. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's one thing that is like really important to keep in mind. And that's why, you know, for having kind of people who may not fully understand the science, you know, um, influencing a lot of people's behavior can, you know, be pretty problematic. 
Um, so that is one kind of thing to bring up. There are some studies also that they're small, but there are some studies that will say that going gluten-free may be beneficial for people with other autoimmune conditions. So celiac is an autoimmune condition. You do you have to have some genetic um, code to make you susceptible, and then other things will happen in life, whether, you know, we don't know what all of those are, but we typically think that there's a combination of maybe lifestyle factors, exposure to eating a lot more gluten than we did as cave people, but also other things we're exposed to in life, viral infections that we have not much control over, um, and um, stressors and so forth, um, that then set you up to be diagnosed with celiac. And other autoimmune conditions tend to go to, autoimmune conditions tend to go together. So um, there are some small studies that would say those with autoimmune thyroid disease may benefit from being gluten-free. And so some of these early studies in these small studies have then been ex- extrapolated to say that everyone, you know, with certain criteria should be gluten-free. Right. My, my take on it, and there are some people who will feel considerably better going gluten-free. What I suspect is the case is that there are some folks that have um, that don't digest gluten well. Gluten is considered a, a FODMAP or FODMAP. It is a fermentable oligosaccharide or carbohydrate that for some people creates increased gas or can aggravate irritable bowel syndrome. Um, so I think that's going on for some folks. And a lot of the foods that we eat that are filled with gluten are just not the healthiest foods. Like a lot right. of them are refined carbohydrates. So kind of the white white flour type foods that are really prevalent in our diet so we can get them everywhere and in large quantities. And they take up room that for foods that may otherwise be help um, feed our good gut bugs better. So if you're filling up on a huge bowl of pasta, that's leaving less room for you know, some of those veggies or beans or um, other kind of plant-based foods that are going to do a great job of nourishing our gut bugs. And so I th- my suspicion is when people take gluten out or go gluten-free, overall, they're kind of cutting out some of the other stuff that's not serving them as well. Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. Now, back to the episode. And then it seems, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, that let's say you've cut it out for a really long time, and maybe your gut isn't optimal, mm-hmm. and then 
you do end up eating gluten because you have a piece of cake at a birthday party or something, does it just make you feel way worse than it would if you were eating it kind of at a steady pace in more whole forms? It can. And we see this most notably with like lactose intolerance. So um, with lactose digestion, again, this is another one of those FODMAP foods, um, but essentially it's a sugar that some of us and most of us actually at a certain point will not digest very well. And so what happens when that sugar reaches our colon and it hasn't been broken down is those gut bugs go like bananas and will make a ton of gas. And for many people, you'll end up then having some urgency and need to get to the bathroom pretty quickly. And so there's somewhat of a use it or lose it phenomenon with lactose that's pretty well documented where you know, if you're eating some, you'll do okay. But then if you have a big dose, like a giant milkshake, then it might be more of a game over situation where you're having a lot more symptoms of bloating, gas, diarrhea, kind of feeling pretty icky. The other thing that happens if you cut out, like for instance, the cake scenario, if you're not used to all of that sugar, that big sugar load at once for many people is going to make you feel kind of icky too. Of kind of, you know, that spike in blood sugar and then that crash afterwards that if you're eating more whole grains and um, slow burning or low glycemic index type carbs and kind of staying on more of an even keel, your energy level is going to stay a little more stable as well. Yeah, I think just to really important points you made is one, a lot of people go around saying, I feel a hundred times better because I'm not eating gluten, but really it could be they've removed a lot of these ultra processed foods. Mm -hmm. um, And then they've, like you said, replaced them with whole foods. And so that just makes you feel better. (laughs) And the second thing, like you just said, it's not always just the gluten, what's coming with it. Is it a bunch of sugar? Mm -hmm. So gluten really has gotten the bad rap, but I, I see still many functional medicine doctors in particular, probably others as well, or maybe not, I don't know. Um, But especially in that field, demonizing things like gluten and dairy. Um, Would you say for most people, can you just tell if you tolerate these things just because you feel okay? Like dairy, you mentioned at some point in your life. How the role that I, or how I will typically counsel patients is tell them to keep a food and symptom journal over a week or two. And I offer all the time, like if you, if we want to look through these together, like let's make a follow-up appointment and talk things over. And if it's something that I'm having trouble with, like let's get you to see a nutrition expert, because although I'm an immune system expert, we have registered dietitians and other folks with great nutrition education that they have spent years on learning, just like I've spent years learning the immune system. So let's tap into that knowledge um, and not my weekend course equivalent um, or, you know, the six months or so of training I did in lifestyle medicine, which granted is a lot more than I've had before, but um, it's it's not equivalent. Yeah. So find an expert. Don't, yeah. if you really think, I mean, cutting out a whole type of food is a pretty big decision. So don't just read one post on the internet and then do it. Definitely seek out expert advice. Yeah. And I think it's helpful to know too, that that expert advice may 
end up being a, a little bit of a team that, you know, I, I tell patients all the time, medicine is a team sport and you are the captain of the team. Um, and we, you know, we're here to help support you in getting to what your goals are. So, you know, we may need to call in some, some specialists or a coach to help in this way or that way, um, to help you achieve those goals. But I think that's, a the analogy that's been helpful. And I think that is such a great analogy and such a cool perspective that you hold. What I see and what I hear from clients that I work with, a lot of people and myself even, a lot of people have just become disillusioned Mm -hmm. with maybe their more traditional doctor at some point because they go in and they say, oh, I'm having a lot of bloat or discomfort from this. And if the doctor doesn't have any formal nutritional training, instead of referring them out, they try to maybe just kind of handle it all in that one office and it's a quick appointment. And then the person feels dismissed and like they didn't get the answers they wanted. And then maybe the doctor isn't taking the whole body approach. And maybe that's then why they turn to a functional medicine doctor, because like you said, it sounds so good. Let's get to the root of this and let's take this more holistic approach and do you think that's possible to find? I mean, you're obviously one of them, but are there many are there many physicians like you? I think it's a growing area. Um, and um, I, th- I think I get the sense that there are a fair number of us that have been us being physicians that have also been in the patient role. And I, I really, truly believe that many whatever the solution ends up being that and I I see, and I hope that we're going to be a big part of that. Um, Having the ability to be that bridge between both sides of the exam room and kind of seeing um, problems from both sides of the coin. Um, What I get very frustrated with, with, functional medicine as well is it's very much a business model. When you put, you know, 20 plus ish thousands of dollars into that training, a big part of that training is how do you make that money back? And so a lot of it is marketing. So how can we demonize the quote unquote other side to distinguish ourselves from them? Um, How can we make your how can we hit your pain points and really push those buttons so that you feel like you have to turn to me um, for mm-hmm. help, that I'm your only solution? And then how can we, um, you know, a, those tests that they order that you're not going to see conventional, quote unquote, conventional doctors order, there is a reason we're not ordering them the science doesn't support them at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, and, or maybe it doesn't at all and it probably won't or doesn't. Um, but there's financial incentive for ordering those tests. Generally somewhere in the order of 25 to 30% of that cost is going back to the person ordering it. Um, and similar with supplements, um, you know, and, And that's not to say that, you know, obviously conventional medicine is a money-making machine as well. Um, And I, I mean, 
I'm going to share too, you know, I, I tried to disclose my perspective, right? Because we all come into to life with our own set of lenses, our own experiences that we've lived and that we exist within. In I work in academics. I don't, the people who do the billing and, and those sort of things, they're in a completely different part of town. Um, so I am pretty disconnected from what things may cost my patients, much more so than I would like to be. Hmm. And so that's one issue with the system, I think, that could be helped in general. Um, Another big issue that comes up is insurance companies many times get to decide what what conventional doctors get paid. And that's why appointments in many situations are much shorter than they should be. Um, And so when you have like these situations where someone is suffering, they're not being heard because they have 15 minutes, maybe max with their doctor, like how, how can you really have a therapy, build a therapeutic trusting relationship with someone in such a short period of time um, and do justice to all the education that needs to be done about like, okay, this is what's going on with your body and this is what you should do about it. And, oh, here's some coaching to really help you make those behavior changes that are really going to be helpful when you're practicing under a time constraint, you were trained to kind of not only trained, but like just part of our human nature is you click into what's called like type one thinking. And it's like your fast thinking. It's, it's the decision-making that you want your ER doctor to be able to do because you want them to be able right. to save your life. Right. Yeah. Please but, don't take a 15 yeah, minute appointment please, for this. Yes. Please put that breathing t- tube down my throat if I need it. Right. Like we're please yeah. put CPR, like if I need it. Right. But that type of thinking does not serve a chronic illness or a complicated issue like fatigue or pain or, you know, inflammation that people may complain of or bloating and gas and digestive issues, like that does not serve those problems well. And so that is a huge issue. And that then provides a lot of fodder for people who are trying to profit off of others' suffering. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned obviously the lab tests, but then briefly the supplements. Mm-hmm. It seems as if there's just an over prescription of supplements also in the functional yeah. medicine world, and those are super expensive. Can I you touch find, on that a bit more? Yeah, I find it really funny um, because many times, and I'll joke about this too, you know, you're kind of labeled a um, pill pusher if you have an MD or even a DO behind your name. And, um, I really, I do my best to talk with patients about like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I think this will be helpful, but here's also a strategy where we can try to come off these meds too. Like that, I try to keep that in mind and also not only in mind, but actually verbalize that to patients too. Cause I think that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you'll also see like the same folks that maybe are demonizing conventional medicine, then prescribing, you know, a whole list of expensive supplements like a parasite cleanse and um, 
you know, uh, anti-inflammatory, extra strength vitamin, you know, all these different things. And I'm just making up names now, but um, the list goes on. And I, I get frustrated in part because when we look at the supplement industry, there is no big brother watching out for us. So when you pick up your, even your fish oil or your vitamin D, which there actually is some pretty good evidence to support taking those. Um, when you pick up the bottle, there's no government oversight or anyone making sure that what is on the package, what you're reading, what you think you're taking is what you're actually taking. And there's no one checking to make sure that there's not something else in it. So in the case of like fish oil, like making sure that there isn't a bunch of heavy metal in there. Mm. Now there are very reputable companies that will send out for what's called third party testing, which is helpful. And that is like a better like mark of assurance, but um, we don't, we don't have anyone, for instance, like collecting names, dates, details of bad events that happen because of supplements either. So we call them adverse drug reactions when it's related to like a prescription medicine. And there are like ways of reporting those adverse drug events. The reason why this like hits really close to home for me is after, so we haven't talked about this as much, but I have a condition, an autoimmune condition called Sjogren's syndrome. It's a, or Sjogren's disease is what we're trying to call it now. It's a systemic autoimmune condition um, that causes dry mouth, dry eyes, a lot of fatigue, body pain, IBS symptoms. Um, and so after I was diagnosed, um, you know, kind of went through that typical like grieving paradigm of like the shock and the anger and, you know, all the feelings. And then the way that I cope with those sorts of things is I try to take control of everything. That's kind of my, my nature. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I'm going to like, I'm going to get myself healthy. I am going to work out. I am going to um, start this green smoothie regimen. And so I picked up these um, superfood supplements that were like a, a something you added in a protein that you added into your shake or your smoothie in the morning. And then a couple other products from a company that had some really sleek, really sexy Facebook, Instagram marketing. Mm, yeah. And it tasted pretty good. And like initially I felt pretty good. Um, but then maybe about six to eight weeks later, after kind of incorporating these into my daily routine, I started developing um, fevers. Like I had a couple weeks of fevers that like every afternoon I was um, fevering. I was super fatigued. Like it felt like I was walking through quicksand, not really walking, but trying to move through quicksand and um, couldn't get enough sleep. My brain was foggy, like I was trying to function as as a mom to two at the time. My youngest was nine months. I'm trying to nurse her still, and um, it it was scary. Um, about two weeks into that, I noticed that my urine turned really dark, and I was itchy, 
And so for those that are listening that are not medically trained, that's not normal. And that signals to um, to me that my liver, my kidneys were not working properly. Wow. So I got my butt to the urgent care, um, asked for them to draw some labs. They were a little more focused on the fever at that point. And I was like, hey, but my pee is dark and I'm itchy. So can you check my liver and kidneys, please? Um and um, it turns out my liver enzymes were like through the roof. Um, and um, to make a long story short, I ended up with a liver biopsy and um, a whole ton of blood work. Um, and they were never able to identify any like particular virus or infection or anything that triggered it. The biopsy was more concerning that it was related to medication or supplement injury. And with the medications I was on, they're able to look up in kind of this really extensive database. Um, okay, you're on hydroxychloroquine, which is the standard treatment for Sjogren's, very, very rarely attributed to liver issues. I've remained on that and my liver is back to normal and doing fine. Um, but the only other things that were on the, on the you know, potentials were the supplements I was taking. And I emailed the company to say, hey, my liver docs are worried that, you know, it's your products that did this. And like, I don't even think I got a response back or it was pretty cursory of like, oh, okay. Like there's there's no central reporting system to hold them accountable or for them to like, not to say accountable, but like accountable in the sense of like looking into it or mm-hmm. like, you know, doing due diligence. Um, and so... That's where I think, you know, when we have these long lists of side effects that you see for conventional prescription big pharma meds, yeah, they're scary. And there are lots of issues with big pharma. Don't get me, you know, started or going on that. (laughs) But we at least have that data and we have accountability. And so I, I just caution people, if you're thinking about supplements and spending money on, on something that may be not well tested or validated, talk with your docs, make sure there aren't any particular interactions or concerns with your underlying health conditions, because those may impact recommendations. And decide on kind of like the time frame for your trial like if you if you want to you want to see that you're getting like is the juice worth the squeeze? Are you getting your time, energy, and money's worth? And yeah. then keep an eye and an ear out for any you know side effects or problems associated with it too. Um, and then you know try to do your due diligence to look for companies that are um, doing that third party testing so that you can at least try to ensure what's on the bottle is what you're actually getting. Um, as opposed to, you know, who knows what's in there. And there have been studies that have shown that many times what's on the bottle is not what's in the bottle or there's extra stuff that's in there too. Wow. So That's a crazy, that's a scary story. Thank you for sharing that. But I think it's important to hear. And as you're talking, I was just thinking, you know, we all go on Amazon and order Amazon's choice of whatever yeah. supplement and there's 20,000 reviews and four and a half stars. We think, oh, this is great. This is going to help me. And people are saying it's the best thing in the world. But I was picturing as you were talking about that, we don't just go behind the prescription counter 
in the store and just pick up a random bottle and like, oh, I'll try this for a little while. Um, So I think that's really prudent advice to just be cautious, speak with your doctor. And especially I'm sure if you're taking other medications, the supplements could interfere with the efficacy of those. And another follow-up question do they, does the person who's recommending the supplement, do they get kickback for it? Mm-hmm. And not to say that like, that's, you know, a, an automatic no, but I think it's helpful to know and to at least inform your decision-making. Like for instance, yeah. you know, I, I am trying to run a business too. And part of that is I, I will share, for instance, like some of the cosmetic things I like, you know, and like quote unquote clean beauty, like, but I tell people like, yes, this is what I use. I also get 25 to 30% commission off of stuff you buy from me. So yeah, let that be known. (laughs) Well, and I've seen other uh, physicians posting, like you said, the trend on Instagram with the red flags. And you mentioned as well, when there is a functional medicine doctor saying, I have the secret, and it's kind of no one else knows this secret. That's the red flag, as you said. But then also, if they're saying, the secret is this supplement. And then if you click through the link and then the supplement has their name on it, probably, you know, if it was this huge, big secret and they discovered something about medicine, everybody would be doing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not a secret anymore because they're telling everybody about it. So, if you know, if it was that big of a deal that it worked, like they're saying, like some panacea, yes. then every doctor would be jumping on that because ultimately you just want to help your patients get better. So if it seems fringe and obscure, take an extra close look probably. Yeah. Pump the brakes. And I think, you know, if we think about in general, how will most people feel better? I mean, thinking about Mm -hmm. that 90 to 95% of what, you know, kind of focusing on the big things, like what, what are those eating more whole foods? Great start Uh, that most of us, when you look at kind of the literature and I'm terrible at remembering statistics, but if you look at the literature from like the lifestyle medicine training, like the vast majority of Americans are not eating recommended number of fruits and veggies in a day. They're not, um, there are still, we have a lot of people who are still smoking. You know, most of us don't get the adequate amount of sleep or exercise. Ideally we're trying, we should be getting 150 minutes of movement in our week. Um, and so, and for many, like in the chronic illness community, like jumping up to that is not feasible, but we're in IBS, you know, jumping up to that number of fruits and veggies, maybe, you know, not something like you want to do right away, yeah. but, but slowly chipping away at those, um, that 90 to 95% is really going to make the biggest difference. And if you get fixated on that, you know, that small amount or those quick fixes, waste a lot of time and energy that could be better spent in those high yield areas. And I think it is just alluring when somebody does say, oh, if you take this supplement or this gummy, you'll have these incredible results. And so you don't have to go out and do the walking or eat the veggies. It just seems too good to be true kind of thing of, oh, awesome. I'll not fix my sleep habits and not manage my stress and not eat vegetables, but I'll take this one pill that will give me what it's saying is the same benefits. And that's easier. 
but a waste of money. And like you said, time, years of your life, you know, get, do the low hanging fruit things that you've been talking about. And then you're probably going to see the incredible results that you're looking for. Yeah. And, and spend that time exploring the thoughts that are driving your feelings and behavior. I think that is where energy can be best. um, Sorry about that. Best um, spent um, is really kind of, um, you know, spending that time exploring why you haven't made those changes and how you can make those changes for the long term. Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of ties into a final question I like to ask guests, which mm-hmm. is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Yeah, I think as I think about the idea of the health investment, for me, I think I'm going to kind of spin in a little bit. The best investment I've made is in my mind and in my my brain and learning. So education, but also learning to manage my mind. And so learning kind of how some of those coaching tools of like, okay, how can I adjust the way that I think about a particular circumstance? So circumstances, I have chagrins. I can't change that. Um, I could try to wish it away. It's... It, it's not going to happen. Um, but how I think about that and frame that in my mind and the challenges that gives me then, you know, influences how I feel about that, that thought and then the actions I'm taking out of that. And so if someone is going to make an investment in their health, I think really examining their thoughts and how those are showing up in the results they're seeing in life can be incredibly helpful. And it's a tool that for me keeps really paying dividends over and over because you you just keep reworking, you keep making those 1% improvements slowly, but surely and those little course corrections add up over time. I love that. No one's, no one's really tackled that question in that specific way Mm -hmm. before, um, which is always fun for myself and for listeners to hear uh, all the different takes on that. So thank you. Uh, Where can listeners follow and find you? Yeah, so I um, have a website, uh, www.crunchyallergist.com, and a podcast by the same name, which we'll have to um, have you on in the coming months. Be super fun. We can um, continue this conversation Um, And then I also um, run a um, coaching program for those with Sjogren's um, called Redefining Success. And so the website for that is successwithsjogren's.com. Awesome. Well, I will put links to all of those things in the show notes. So they're easily clickable. And I just want to thank you so, so much again. I know you're very busy. You have another baby now. You have a third one. So I know you have a lot of dentist stuff going on today. So that is one I, of the, the fun things with Sjogren's. Yeah. Oh, well, good. Yay. But I'm just very grateful. I know this is going to be such a hit of an episode. And I appreciate you clearing up a bunch of kind of myths out there and kind of guiding us on hopefully a better path that could end up saving people lots of money down the road in terms of the type of care they're looking for and supplements and tests and all of the things. Yeah. So thank you so much, Dr. No Wada. problem. Yeah, I'm a Midwestern girl at heart. So if I can help someone find a good deal, I am all about it. Thank you. Awesome. So Maybe that'll be the title. Just <laughs> <laughs> click here for a good deal. I love it. Thanks so much. (laughs) All right. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye. Well, that's all for today. 
Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.